Good morning, Outlook family. It is good to see everyone on this Easter Sunday morning. Happy Easter to everybody, whether you're with me here in the room or you're with us online. It's just good to be together. Amen. We are gathered here today to celebrate new life and what makes new life possible, right? We're beginning a series, as Kate said there in the video, called All New, All True. We're going to look at this new life that Jesus offers us, this life that we get to receive. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to get a new heart and a new true mind, new habits and true healing. Anyone need some true healing this morning? New ethic and true power, new family, true love, new future, true purpose. If any of these sound good to you, then I'm already right out the gate inviting you back next Sunday and the Sundays after that as we unpack this new life that Jesus makes possible. And new is what we need, right? Anyone need some new? We look for new, we search for new, because there's nothing quite like new, am I right? New clothes on Easter Sunday morning, maybe? A new car, new car smell. I've heard that's nice. I've never really experienced that much. But new car smell, new haircut, brand new book, cracking open a new book, even opening a new jar of peanut butter, right? Who loves that moment, right? New feels good. And sometimes we work hard to manufacture new for ourselves. We get restless and perhaps we even do things we shouldn't and we begin looking for new relationships and ways that get out of order, or think a new job will solve all our problems, maybe a new town or a new diet, you know it, on and on. We will look to find new wherever we can. But eventually I realize I'm chasing new, but always with the same me, old me, same old me. But not with Jesus, amen? My version of new and his are not the same. While I work to maybe rearrange the things on the outside of my life, he stands ready to change me on the inside. I can't make myself new, truly new. New and true in ways I never knew I could be or thought I would be. Jesus gives me new and true sight, new might, and even a new appetite. New and true love. And when push comes to shove, new peace. I think we all agree there's nothing quite like new. And this new that we're talking about this morning all begins with these 11 words spoken by an angel to women at a tomb. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. He has risen. Just as he said. He is risen indeed, right? That thing that Zach said earlier that I was trying. I was just seeing if you were remembering what Zach, what Zach did earlier, if you were picking up what he was laying down there. But it's all good. It's all good. We'll try that again later if I can remember. <laughs> I'm just. So we're going to look at the Easter story this morning. But I want to remind us, you might think of it, oh, it's a Bible story. Maybe even the gospel story. But I also want to remind us that it's our story too. Mine and yours, that we are in a very real sense there, and that that scene that we're going to look at today is very much descriptive of my life 
and yours. So let's jump in with those first words. He is not here. Where is here that we're talking about? We're talking about the tomb. So let's go back a little bit to Friday evening at this tomb. John tells us that at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden, a new tomb that had never been used. Matthew tells us that it belonged to a friend and follower of Jesus named Joseph, and that Joseph took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. What's happening here? Joseph... Uh, hastily cleans and wraps Jesus' body and then places it in his own nearby tomb because there is no time for any kind of longer-term prep for burial that can happen because sundown is about to begin and so is the Sabbath. So the Sabbath begins at sundown that evening. And so just for the moment, in an act of love and, and, and of care, Joseph asks for Jesus' body, which is taken down from the cross, and he, do, he immediately does what he can, uh, and then he puts that body in his own nearby tomb. It says he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, like a door, and he went away. He leaves. Now here's a photo I snapped when I was in Israel a few years ago. It's of a preserved first century tomb right there in Israel. And so it gives you a great visual of what we're talking about here. Those pictures in our uh, childhood Bibles or whatever of Jesus' tomb and that big round stone, they weren't inaccurate. That is the way many tombs were uh, designed. And so here's a preserved first century tomb that gives us a great picture of what we're talking about. That stone rolls down that groove that's been created and then covers the entrance as its own heavy, thick door. It's a great visual. So Joseph does this. He places Jesus' body carefully in that tomb, and then he leaves after rolling that large stone. But not everyone is left. We read in the very next sentence, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So try to imagine the events of the day and all of the, all of the energy and the grief and just all of the activity that that Friday took place, that took place that Friday as you see Jesus dying on the cross and, and that mock trial that he had endured and, the, and the, the crown of thorns and the beating that he had taken and now there he is on the cross. Now your Lord and Savior has passed away. He is in this tomb and evening has fallen and they sit there opposite the tomb, just them in that silence. Let's sit with them for a moment. I've sat with dozens and dozens of wives and husbands and mothers and fathers and children near coffins and at gravesides, overcome with grief, with a vacant, distant look in their eyes and on their faces. We all know and probably have experienced that exact feeling. The death of someone we love. That same look comes across us, comes across our hearts when a dream of ours dies or a marriage, the death of hope, we all know, if we sit for a moment with them, what they are probably feeling. Overcome by trauma and tragedy. This may be exactly you today. This may be where Easter Sunday 2022 finds you, sitting in sadness and in sorrow. That same look that we're thinking about here I've seen in the eyes and on the faces of men and women who've lived too long away from God, separated from Him. In my most honest moments, I can confess I've seen such a look in my own eyes. Maybe the mirror has shown you the same in some way 
at some time. There they sit, opposite that closed, cold tomb. What lay behind that stone? Let me tell you. What lay behind that stone was not just the earthly body of Jesus of Nazareth, broken and still. What lay there was all the hope and all the promise ever held between God and humanity. All the hope and promise that you and I would ever have of knowing God lay behind that cold stone tomb door at which they sat. Just to add insult to injury, on Saturday of this weekend, the civil and religious leaders sealed the stone. They placed a seal over the, the, the seam of the stone so that if it had been moved at all, that seal would be broken. And so it, this would thus ensure that the stone would not move. They even sent some soldiers to keep an eye on things. They made that stone immovable, at least in their own minds. Let's keep Jesus where we have him, dead and gone and soon to be forgotten. Let's keep people from him. Let's solidify this separation. Again, this story is our story. What happened in that garden happens all the time in our human hearts. This is our story. Life on our own terms, which you and I have all attempted to live at one point or another, rolls a stone over our hearts, over our eyes, over our souls. And in that darkness, you and I are bumping around, just trying to live as best we can. And then this hurtful, troublesome, arrogant world seals that stone in place. And we live in a separation from God, which is not really living at all. You see, as long as Jesus stays in that tomb, let's sit here just a moment longer. As long as he stays in that tomb, we have every reason, you and I, to be bitter and angry and cynical. As long as that stone doesn't budge, we have no hope of connection with God and his love, of cleansing or forgiveness, of the, discovering the real meaning of life. For all of us at one time, maybe even today, a secure stone separates us from God, separates us from love, from purpose, separates us from our best selves, sits there separating like a wall between us and all that we could be in him. Today's a great morning to simply ask, what's separating me from God? What's keeping distance right now, a distance that he doesn't want and, doesn't ha and, and a distance that doesn't have to remain. When the Sabbath was over, just after sunrise, then on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and a lady named Salome, they were bringing spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body, we read in the scriptures. They were going to then finish, they were going to continue what Joseph had hastily started late Friday afternoon. It says they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? So here they are, they're walking toward the tomb, and they're wondering about this. What will, who will roll the stone away? What will we do when we get there? And yet they walk, right? They sat in sorrow. Now they walk and wonder, what will we do? We all do this in some sense. We're walking and wondering, who will roll this stone away? 
Their cry is the cry of us all. That weight that rests on our chest like a slab of stone. Have you ever felt it? The rock of regret. Add to that the concrete of all our own choices. Maybe you've even thrown in the rebar of some rebellion against God at some point in life. I think we all can relate. And we lay all that in there. And the world does its own thing to us and reinforces this distance that we have between us and God. This heavy weight that sits on our hearts. Who will move it? We walk in wonder. I know I cannot. How will I move forward? That may be where you are today. You may, Easter morning today may have found you sitting in sorrow for any number of reasons. Easter Sunday today may find you walking through life and wondering, how will I ever move forward? How do I navigate what is ahead of me? How do I find hope? Let us remember, he is not here. This story is about to take a turn. He has risen. Okay, nice, nice, nice says, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that last part. It's like the angel comes, rolls back the stone, and then just decides to have a seat right there on, on the stone. Like, that was easy. No big deal. See, what we find difficult is easy for God. And what he longs to do is to put to rest all of our fury and worry and simply roll back the stone. It may have taken us years to form it. It's weight accumulating year after year, decision after decision, heartbreak after heartbreak. And the weight of that stone rests there, and we think, how will it ever be moved? It's easy for God. What's impossible for me is easy for God. Amen? What he longs to do, see that stone of regret slip away. Remove that stone of hopelessness. Yes, even the stone of death itself. That is the good news. That's the best part of the good news. That even death itself holds no sway or fear uh, over us anymore. Jesus walked out of his own tomb and we make him our Lord and Savior. We realize that uh, physical death is but a mere passage to life eternal. He has risen, said the angel who also asks this, why do you look for the living among the dead? Again, a little bit coy, but also pretty profound here. The angel sitting on that rock right there says to the women, why are you looking here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And I can't help but think that that's a question that God asks me far too often. Why are you looking for life among the dead things of this world? You're walking and you're wondering, how will I move forward? Who will move the stone away? God is providing and answering. Here's his message to us on Resurrection Sunday. You're looking for life as you should. You're looking for new Keep that search up, but just know this, you will find it in me. I've redefined the word new. I mean, you want to talk about new? I walked out of my own tomb. That's the kind of new that Jesus offers to us, the kind of life that he wants to infuse in us by faith. Not this dead end and dying world, not this deceiving and deceived world. You're not going to find life there. Why do you look for it among the dead? 
See, we're all looking, we're all searching for what will give life meaning. Of course we are. For something significant beyond what this world labels as success, for a love that is solid and real, not hollow and fickle. His love, his love for us was too great to leave things the way they were, this separation that we all suffered from, us and God. He found that intolerable. Humanity separated from him. You and I, people carrying the load of their sin, their guilt, the hurt and the shame that this world throws on us, always hitting the stony wall, the dull separation between themselves and their creator. He wanted to change all that. You see, we're all broken. Is that true? We're all broken. God came to let himself be broken Two, we all suffer, many times by our own self-inflicted wounds. And Jesus came to suffer as well and be wounded right along with us, dying a death he did not deserve. We are all bent, and God bent down. He came to us. See, God created you and I with an ability to choose, a freedom to decide how we're going to live our lives. And our natural inclination as human beings is to steer away from him and toward ourselves, to make up our own rules, to decide that we know best. We end up selfish and nearsighted and forgetful. Even the best among us in our best moments, amidst our best circumstances, are unable to blast through this stone that keeps us separated from our creator. The good news this morning is that it has been removed. Who will move the stone away, we cry. The answer is that it has been removed and nothing needs separate us from God. He is risen, amen? Now, the religions of this world can inspire us with their high moral law in the writing of their sacred books. They can raise our self-awareness, teaching us to look inward. They can move us uh, to appreciate the greatness of creation, but none has the power to change and transform us. None make the claims that we've read here. They don't try to, and who would, really? Unless there's something solid to back it up. Jesus, uh, not just a teacher, no mere prophet, Jesus lets himself be killed and then gets up out of the tomb. Friends, that's more than lofty thoughts or religious zeal. That's power. Power for life. Power he extends and offers to us. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Remember what he said. He keeps his promises. And when he said he'd rise again, he meant it, and he did. And when he said he would make his dwelling in the hearts of men and women who follow him, he meant it, and he does. And this may be where you are this morning, needing to be reminded, not because you've forgotten in your head, but because you've forgotten in your heart. God is real. Have you lost track of him over these last couple of years? Many of us have. It's easy to do. We've been put in a blender these last couple of years, have we not? There's a lot lot of disorienting going on. But let me just remind you on this Easter Sunday morning, God is real and can be trusted. He's good, and his gifts of love and grace and wisdom and hope can be received. 
And not just by anyone generally, but by you personally. We read that the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Friends, this promise of all new is all true. Testing the validity of this story is worth its own sermon series. You may be thinking, this all sounds nice, but really, is it true and real? And we've done that in a couple of series over the years for sure. But for just this moment here, let me highlight a couple of things that should get our attention, even in the story as we've read it so far. Jesus rising from death is perhaps the single most audacious claim of the Christian faith, or honestly, of any faith. And if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then we should just fold this whole thing up and move on. I think we'd all agree to that. But check this out. One item that we've already encountered is that every gospel, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they state that the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection were women. In that time and place, sadly, the testimony of a woman was not even admissible in court. So, if you were making up a story and you wanted people to believe it, you would make sure that the eyewitnesses of your story were men. Yet, women are related across the board to be the first eyewitnesses. The only possible explanation is that they really were. And I'm also glad to say that this is another example of how Jesus and the early Christians honored and elevated women in a society that always seemed to want to lower them. No one in Jerusalem would have believed the preaching of the apostles that Jesus had risen, not for a minute if the tomb was not empty, if the resurrected Jesus hadn't been seen by many. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. It would have been evident to all, and they would have been exposed as frauds at worst or insane at best. They might have been able to keep it up for a week or two or a month or whatever, but not for years and not for decades. Clearly something happened that Sunday morning, and the man that they crucified and entombed was no longer there, just as he said. The first followers of Jesus simply would not have preached a message that risked their lives the way this one did if they had stolen Jesus' body from the tomb or hid it or buried it elsewhere. Not for long, not for their whole lives. Virtually all the apostles and early Christian leaders were eventually beaten, persecuted, and killed for their faith. It's hard to believe that that kind of profound self-sacrifice would be done in support of a hoax. But these simple followers explained it pretty clearly when the heat was on in Acts chapter 4. They simply said this, as for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They were convinced, and it was convincing. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Back to our story, and not just the story we're reading, the story you and I are living. The women sat in sorrow. They walked and they wondered, and now we read that they ran rejoicing. Where are you today in those three? You may be in all three. Wherever we are, something very new and very, very good is being offered. In our bright colors and springtime cheerfulness, we find ourselves confronted by the deepest and most serious question. Did God really come to earth and live a perfect human life? and die a death he didn't deserve? 
and rise from the tomb? That's a question from which, uh, to which I must chase down an answer. And if that answer is yes, then I must follow where it leads. That is no small thing. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. It makes, it, it makes new life possible. And it means that what this Jesus taught was the truest of the true. It means I need to stop and reevaluate everything. It means that I would be foolish to live life just any way I want when there is this one who conquered death and has things to say about life and the way it works. Perhaps I should pay attention to him. Resurrection also means I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Not Roman swords, not religious bullies, not cancer, not death, not a thing. New, the new life that we're promised means that I don't have to stay the same. Friends, think about it. It's the best news of all. You and I don't have to stay the same. It means there's hope and new life has come. Friends, I pray that because the tomb is empty, your hearts are full this morning. And if you are ready to talk about making a decision for Jesus, if your interest has even been piqued and you'd like to learn more about that, I would in, uh, invite you to do a, one of a couple of things. You could even you can scan the code on the back of the uh, seat in front of you, and there's going to be a button there that you can press that says, Say Yes to Jesus. That'll give us a chance to uh, get back with you and talk through that decision. Or if you see me after service, I'd love to chat with you today about that. Let's turn toward the bread and the cup on this Easter Sunday as we consider what we've been talking about and think about them in the light of the resurrection. Because when we partake each Sunday, as we do here at Outlook, of the bread and the cup, we are being reminded that something real and true took place, that something actually happened. Historians agree that just three to five years after the crucifixion, the Apostle Paul was hanging out with the original disciples, like Peter and James, and he was hearing straight from them what happened on what we call Good Friday and Easter. And at one point, Paul writes about this in a letter to some Corinthian Christians. And this is what he says. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have died. Now, what we read here, why I bring it up, is that Paul not only speaks of the empty tomb, and the resurrection on the third day, showing that he's talking about an historic event, not a metaphor or a symbol. He also lists the eyewitnesses, individuals, small groups, and then hundreds of people at once, most of whom he says, and goes out of his way to say, are still alive and can be consulted for corroboration. This is not the kind of thing you write when you're making something up. We don't find here fables or platitudes but real-life historical claims grounded in time and place. And when we take the bread and the cup each week, we are reminding ourselves that this story that we are now a part of is grounded, just like we are, in time and place. These are not a series of 
uh, moral stories that someone collected from a long time ago. This is not hero worship of someone who couldn't have ever done the feats of which we read. This is grounded in time and place. Paul was boldly inviting anyone who doubted that Jesus had appeared to people after his death to go and talk to the eyewitnesses. We don't, uh, his letter was public. It was meant to be read aloud and circulated. Paul could not have made such a challenge if those eyewitnesses did not exist. Friends, we are not today eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. But we do bear witness to the new life that he gives thanks to the cross and the resurrection. Amen? Every time we take the bread and eat it, we remember him, which is exactly what he asks us to do. So take this bread this morning, and as he asked, do it in remembrance of him. It was a real body that he let be broken, real blood that he shed to do this mysterious and wonderful thing, and that is save us from ourselves and from separation from God. He says when we take the cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've been reminded of today. Lord, we thank you that you are risen, just as you said. Lord, that the the power that you released that day wasn't just for you, far from it. It was for all who would say yes to you, a made of equally available to all, even us today, 20 centuries later, on the other side of the globe. We are part of that blast radius. We, that, the ripple effect of you in that empty tomb reaches us here today. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart, everyone who has heard this message, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in, in a long time. I pray that they would find hope in you, that they would see that yes to you is as easy as that angel rolling that stone away. That's all we need to do. You'll do the rest. Accept us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. And empower us. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.